Thank you for listening to a Christ-centered message from Grace Community Church. We are committed to proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology and trust that you will receive encouragement as we study today's passage together. Well, I welcome each and every one of you this morning. I'm glad that you are here. Welcome those who are joining online. For those who are uh, sick right now, we're remembering you in our prayers. We're thinking of you. We're praying for a speedy recovery that you're able to return again in worship with us as soon as possible. Last Sunday, we began uh, this five-part series, our five distinctives, and we started out with uh, Christ-centered preaching. That's at the heart of all that we intend, all that we aim, is to be known for, right at the center, Christ-centered preaching. Now today, we're going to enter into the second part, and that is passionate worship. Passionate worship, and I'm going to invite you to go in your Bibles to Mark chapter 12, and we're going to be in verses 28 through 34 this morning. We're going to see where a scribe comes to Jesus in our text today, and where he interacts with the Son of God, and he's face to face with Jesus Christ, Messiah, God in flesh. Can I ask you this morning, what are you truly passionate about? What are you truly passionate about? What drives you? What excites you? What thrills you? Whatever you're passionate about, it has the opportunity. It is going to make you really excited at times, joyous at times, but also on the other end, it can bring sorrow and great pain. There are many people this morning who are consumed, they're passionate about their career, making a name for themselves, having their next promotion making it up the ladder, whatever it takes. There are a lot of people this morning, they're passionate about sports. They'll be here and they'll be there. And you hear, they'll sit through pouring rain. They'll endure everything for their team, whether it's a professional team or whether it's their child's team. And as a pastor, I always kind of wonder in the back of my mind, if we were having service outside, would they be there? I don't know. Are they a little more passionate about soccer than they might be about Jesus? I'm not sure. The Lord knows. Some people are passionate about relationships, being defined by someone else. Some people are passionate about entertainment. You may not know anyone passionate about politics. They're out there. I promise you. People are passionate about health, doing whatever it takes to be healthy, to not get sick. Some people are passionate about wealth, about having how much, you know, money is enough for a rich person. It's never enough, a little more, a little more. Some people are passionate about being successful or their accomplishments. I've done this, I've been here, I've accomplish that. Look what I've done. Look at my resume, building a resume. Some people are passionate about sex and having no boundaries put on them by anyone if they want to do it, they do it. Some people are passionate about safety, about comfort, about security to control everything around them so that no one upsets my my kingdom. Some people are passionate about patriotism. Some people are passionate about fame. If I could just make it big, if I could just have my name known, if I could just be discovered. Now, the reality is in that entire list that I just went through, You're hard-pressed to find anything there that's just absolutely wrong in and of itself. There are a few things. But most of these areas are actually given from God as gifts to men. It's Labor Day weekend. It's It's a gift that God shared with Adam and with Eve in the garden. Six days work, but you need a day of rest. 
Some people are owned by jobs and by work and they can't ever rest and worship and reflect on how quickly this life is passing by. None of that list, though, can bear up the weight of our souls. And that's what I want to put before us today. That if I worship, if I live for, if I'm passionate about any of the career, sports, relationships, entertainments, fame, any of those things, if I live for that, it can be gone in a moment and eventually it will all be gone. Nothing in that list will last forever. So therefore, everything in that list has a potential of becoming a good gift from God and I worship the gift and forget the giver and therefore it becomes idolatry. Perhaps you remember the chorus, 1931, Thoreau Harris wrote this, all that thrills my soul is Jesus. He is more than life to me. And the fairest of 10,000 in my blessed Lord I see. I wonder if that's your testimony. Fairest of ten thousands, more than life to me. Can we say this? Do we agree with this? Yes. Can I say I always live according to that? No. Maybe the song would be more accurate. All I want to thrill my soul is Jesus. But how easily, how easily I fade off. Authentic worshipers are always worshiping. You realize you were created to worship. You were born to worship. You were born to give adoration. You were born to give praise. And that is everyone in life. And so the choice is not, will I be a worshiper or not a worshiper? The question is, who do I worship? What do I worship? Where I place my affection, my my attention, my devotion, can it bear up the weight of my soul? That's the question for us today, beloved, and always. Those who are worshipers, we worship through every season, we worship through every situation because we long to magnify Jesus Christ. And loved ones, genuine worship is always connected with sacrifice. Worship is always connected with sacrifice. Worship is never worship if it's just leftover time, leftover money, leftover resources, leftover anything is not worship. Worship is costly. It's always connected with sacrifice. Warren Wearsby gives a, help, a helpful working definition to worship. He said, worship is the believer's response of all that they are mind, emotions, will, and body. To what God is, all right, so that's who he is, what he is, and says, that's his word, what he's spoken, and does, his actions, his activity. It's our response to him. Are you a worshiper this morning of Jesus Christ? Are you a worshiper of the true and living God? That's the question. So why would we be committed to lifting high the name of Jesus in spirit and in truth? Why would we long to be known as a church? God, let us be known by everyone around us. They are passionate worshipers of Jesus Christ. Just for a few moments, I want us to hear from Scripture the call and even the command to worship. That our worship, your worship, is not ever to be generated by just feelings, emotion, atmosphere. It's to be a response of who God is, of what he has done, and what he has said. Psalm 138, verse 1 and 2, I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. You hear that? With my whole heart. Before the gods, I sing your praise. I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. 
for you have exalted above all things your name and your word. Psalm 149. Some of us are reading through the uh, Old Testament and New Testament together this year. We just came through these Psalms, and let me tell you, I want to just read all of them. Like, oh, Psalm 145. That's a good one. 146. 147. Like, how long are we going to be here? We'll go right through Labor Day picnic right here. Psalm 149. Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song, his praise in the assembly of the godly. Let Israel be glad in his maker. Let the children of Zion rejoice in their king. Let them praise his name with dancing, making melody to him with tambourine and lyre. For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He adorns the humble with salvation. Let the godly exult in glory. Let them sing for joy on their beds. Let the high praises of God be in their throats and two-edged swords in their hand to execute vengeance on the nations and punishments on the peoples, to bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron, to execute on them the, judgments, the judgment written, this is honor for all his godly ones. And the psalm ends where it began, praise the Lord. Romans 12 in the New Testament, Paul writes, verse one, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a, here's worship, a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship, sacrifice, worship, it's connected. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And Paul would write to the Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the, here it is, the glory of God, everything that you do. Give no offense to Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please, in, uh, please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many. Why? Here's the point, that they may be saved. And Paul says, so imitate me. Imitate me as I am of Christ. Follow me. I'm a passionate worshiper. Follow me. Why? So that other people will come into the presence of the people of God and say, can I know your God? Can I worship? Is there room in this family for me? And what is the answer to that, loved ones? Yes. Yes. 2 Corinthians, Paul writes, 3.18. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord. Okay, so this is what we do. We open his word, Christ-centered preaching. We behold the glory of the Lord. We see his face. It's beautiful. And there's a response. Something happens when this encounter takes place in our lives. We're being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. It's glorious to be saved, but the work isn't done yet. And the Spirit of God takes up residence in every believer and is changing us from glory to glory. And he'll finish that work. This is worship. So one more passage from Ephesians 5, this great passage where Paul deals with Christ's love for his church, a husband, how they're to love their wife. In Ephesians 5 and verse 15, he says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. So he's bringing this up. When someone is intoxicated, the alcohol takes over, and they say things that are deep in the heart. They do things that are deep in the heart because their, their restraint is off. 
They're under the influence, under the control of alcohol. And he says, you understand that process. Let's look at it a different way. What happens when we're filled with the Spirit of God? Verse 19, this is what proceeds from that. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Do you see what happens when we're filled and walking in the Spirit of God? It's the exact opposite of somebody who's filled with alcohol and out of control. Under the influence of the Spirit of God, something happens in the environment of that place of those people, and they become easy to get along with. They become contagious, infectious, in a good way. How can, how can I have my sins forgiven? How can I know and worship your living God? Beloved, we were made to worship so under the sound of my voice today, and as this message goes out, my prayer is that not one person will miss the point for which you were created. You were made to worship. You were made to worship God. You're there in Mark chapter 12. In the context here, um, Jesus has been teaching. He gives parab a parable He's talking to them. He's teaching. They understand. He's talking about us, the first part of Mark 12, verse 12. Oh, this, is, this is against us. He's talking about us. Then the Pharisees come along, and they try to trap him with a question with the Herodians. Do we pay taxes or we don't pay taxes? Then the Sadducees, they take their shot at Jesus about the resurrection, and they lose then comes the scribe. From this scribe, we don't pick up any animosity. We don't see anything here that the scribe is trying to trap or trick Jesus. He's a seeker. He's being drawn to worship. He has a good understanding of Scripture, but he's missing something. And in Mark chapter 12, verse 28, Mark records, and he says, And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he, Jesus, answered them well, asked him, Which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart, and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. This is the word of the living God. This morning, we want to unpack this question. How is it possible? How is it possible for us to lift high the name of Jesus Christ in spirit and in truth? How can we do this? Well, at the heart of it all is the grace of God. This is not a self-help this is not a pull yourself up by the bootstraps and just knock this one out. You can do this. No, it's not. It's by the grace of God. But we're going to see four answers to this. Number one, by the grace of God, we come to know the living God. It's by his grace that we come to know the living God. Here in this text, 
the dispute over the identity of Jesus Christ was in full view. The context reveals how the crowd is asking the question, whether it be the Sadducees or the Pharisees or the Herodians, all these different religious groups and political groups and the crowds at large, they were all asking the question, who is this man? Who is he? Who can do what he does? Who teaches like he teaches? Who is he? What is the claim that he has upon my life? Loved ones, there's an eternity of difference between what is important and that which is most important. It's as if this scribe was saying to Jesus, can you just cut to the chase? Can you just give me the price out the door, the bottom line? Don't you want people to do that when they're trying to sell you something and you're interested in like, you know, trying to buy a cell phone, trying to get a policy, trying, and it's like, wait a second, we started out here. How did we end up here? And why did you begin with, well, what's the monthly payment that you want? Like, what are you doing? Well, we can stretch that out over 70 years at that monthly payment. Well, what am I buying, a nation? He's just saying to Jesus, can you break it down? Can you just put it on the bottom shelf for me? Let's get to the heart of this. And Jesus answers the scribe's question by saying, well, I feel that. No, he didn't. Well, I think, and Jesus could have said that, and he would have been right. He goes back to this answer. What does the Bible say? What does Scripture say? What does the Word of God say? One of the scribes came to him. Heard, him, heard them disputing which commandment is the most important of all. Jesus answered, verse 29, the most important, that, that's protos, the top, the first, right? This is the chief, is this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. We can know this living God by general revelation. That's important that you understand this and You've been taught this. I've taught you this over the years. How do we know this God, the living God? He has to reveal himself. We can't just say, this afternoon, let's hop in the church van, and I'm going to drive you into the presence of God so that you can see him for yourself. If he does not reveal himself to us, we don't know him. No SpaceX program can get there. He has to come to us. And he's revealed himself in a general way. In this way, he's revealed to all creation, to all humanity. The scribe would have known this, that God has revealed himself in creation, that you just look at the creative order. You look at the stars in the sky. We sang of that even today. You look at the sun, you look at the moon, you look at the galaxies, and it tells you you're really small. There is a creator God who is magnificent, right? And we worship him. God has revealed himself in creation. And Paul says in Romans 1, in verse 18, he says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them. Okay, it's clearly revealed. It's obvious because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they, that's every person, every continent, we can all trace our, back, our roots back to Noah. There is a God. He judges sin, and we can all trace our roots back to Adam. The creator God walked with Adam in the cool of the day and said, I made all of this, and I made you, and I made you to know me. So there is no one without excuse on planet Earth. From Adam, after Adam, after Noah, we all have been given everything that we need is 
there's someone greater than me. They're worthy of worship. We're without excuse. God has also revealed himself another way, and that's through our conscience. Through our conscience. Romans chapter 2, verse 14, for when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. Okay, they, didn't, they weren't given the law of Moses, and yet they know you can't just go next door and say, oh, nice goat, I'll take that goat. It's mine now. Whether they have the law or not, on their conscience, they know you can't do that. Hey, I like your house. I'm just going to move in your house now. No, you can't do that. But yours is so much nicer than mine. You have a better roof than mine. I'll just take it. No, you can't do that. Whether you were a Jewish person or a Gentile, you have something written on your heart that it's wrong to lie, it's wrong to steal, it's wrong to commit adultery, and you, this is what Paul is saying, you, you never had the law given to your ancestors. But you know this, it's written on your heart. Verse 15, they show that the work of the law written on, is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men and how and who will be our judge. Christ Jesus. He will be our judge. So through general revelation, God has revealed through creation, through our conscience, that's all humanity, we know there is a living God. There is a creator God. There's another way that God has revealed himself, and how do we know him? It's through special revelation. It's through special revelation or specific re revelation that God has revealed himself to us in special ways that cannot be conveyed through creation or through conscience, all right? So you can look out and be overwhelmed that there must be a creator, but there's not enough information. There's not the detail that is sufficient for us to know this creator. We need more information, and God has given this through special revelation. He has definitely spoken. He's communicated down through time. He communicated directly with Adam and Eve. He walked with them in the cool of the day. We see in the Old Testament, he, he came and he talked with Moses at the burning bush. He met with him there through the prophets in the Old Testament, the apostles in the New Testament. If you read through the book of Ezekiel, you're going to see a phrase over and over and over and over again. And you shall know that I am the Lord, that they may know that I am the Lord. They may know that I am the Lord. You shall know that I am the Lord. What do you think is the point? If you just highlight that reading through Ezekiel and you just see what is God's, what is the prophet just banging away on this bass drum? I'm the Lord and I want you to know me. Through angels, his word was delivered and spoken. Through dreams and visions, his word came to men. God has definitely spoken. God's word has been revealed in scripture. There's a divine record of God's word about himself, and it's given to mankind. It's written down, it's preserved, and we have a copy of it this morning, and it's all around now through apps that can be downloaded whether you live in North Korea or you live in Afghanistan, the word of God is now available and it still may put you in harm's way. But it's available. God revealed himself through scripture and God has most clearly revealed himself in his son, the word made flesh, Jesus Christ, that he came. This is what John's gospel so beautifully portrays that the word became flesh and pitched tent, dwelt among us. He became one of us. The writer of Hebrews says, Hebrews 1 and verse 1, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, okay, so that verse 1 was the Old Testament. Verse 2 is the New Testament. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, that it's all going to him, the heir, through whom also he created the world. That's 
through whom everything began. He's before all things, and all things are going to him. He is the radiance, verse 3 says, of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. This is why the scribe was asking him the question, who are you? That's why the crowd was wondering, who are you? What is your claim on our lives? Because he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Did you hear that? That Jesus Christ is holding you together and everything else by the word of his power. His word is what holds everything together. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. And we just sang this morning one name. It's one name. It's the name of Jesus. So God has revealed himself. We can come to know him because he's been gracious. This living God through general revelation, through special revelation, and we come to know him through personal conversion. This is where the scribe is face to face with the living God and he has a decision to make. Do I give him my life? Do I surrender to him? Do I bow down and call him Lord or do I carry on in my religious obligations and in my current understanding? If we're gonna come to know this living God, he has revealed himself in a general way through creation, through the conscience. He's revealed himself in special ways through speaking, through scripture, and through his son. But that still does not mean that I know him. I can know everything about him. I can have 14 theology degrees. You can be a teacher in a seminary. You can be any person religious as you want to be. And that doesn't mean that you know this living God. That's what the scribe is being faced with. That's what we're being challenged with. Personal conversion, what are we talking about? It's a personal surrender to Jesus Christ. Our parents can't do this for us. This is a personal response to who God is, to what he has said, and to what he has done. And it demands you. It demands of me total surrender, total commitment. That's what Jesus was saying to Nicodemus, John 3, 3, you must be born again. Nicodemus, you are the teacher of Israel. If you're not born again, you will not see the kingdom of God. So important. In Acts 4, 12, there's only one name given among men under heaven by which we must be saved. You must be saved. You must come into a saving relationship with this Christ Jesus. John Stott, he says it this way. He says, all Christian worship, public and private, should be an intelligent response to God's self-revelation in his words and works recorded in scripture. Worship is not just mindless emptying into enthusiasm. That's pagan worship. Just environmentally, environmentally induced, atmosphere. Christian worship is a response to who God is, to what he has said, and to what he has done. That We admit we acknowledge, we confess. I'm needy, he's worthy. I need him, he doesn't need me. I need him, he's worthy of my worship of my life. So number one, we come to know this living God. And number two, how are we going to lift high the name of Jesus Christ in spirit and in truth? We respond by loving God. This is a right response. If we come to know the living God, the only living God, then our natural right response, just the only response that is fitting, 
is I'm going to love this God. We're commanded to love. We're commanded to worship God. That's what Jesus was saying when he cited the Shema, the Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And someone is saying, wait a second. In the Old Testament, Jesus just said there's three aspects. Or, 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 you know, Moses, the law through Moses, there's three. And when Jesus is saying this, he gives four. Who does he think he is? Who does he think he is? You don't think the scribe was asking that question to himself? What is Jesus saying? He's saying, if we're going to respond rightly, we're going to love this God with all our heart. All our heart. That word is cardia, refers to the inner person, our heart, our passions. Jesus says, you love this God with all your heart, and then he says, with all your soul. Suke is the word. You get the idea of where we get psychology. It's the part of us that will live forever. Our soul, that living being in us, that we're made in the image of God, we're, giving, we're given by God the breath of life, a soul that will abide forever, either in heaven with Christ or in hell separated from the God who made us, loves us, sent his son to forgive us. He says, with all our mind. And here Jesus added this, and the scribe probably would have thought, wait a second, what's going on here? This is the seat of our thinking, that Jesus' authority is displayed, just like when we were coming through the Sermon on the Mount, and he says, you've heard it said, you've heard it said, you've heard it said, but I say to you, but I say to you, this is what he's doing with the scribe. You've heard what it was said through Moses, but I say to you, are you listening, Mr. Scribe? Are you listening, Mr. Religious Person? Are you reasoning this out? Are you thinking about this, that you have heard the message? It enters that space between your ears, and you realize as a preacher, as a pastor, as a follower of Christ, when you tell people the message, do you know what our responsibility is? It's to get the message into the ear gate. And after that, we have no more, there's nothing more that we can do. Like we can't make it go further into the mind and the heart. Our responsibility as a coworker, as a family member, as a neighbor, is to get the message in the ear gate and what the person does with it, what the scribe does with it, is on them. They have to respond to this message. We can't be the Holy Spirit for people. I think I've tried too many times. It doesn't work out well. All our strength. Iscus. This is the word, it's our personal capability, our might, that physical ability, everything. You know what Jesus is saying? It's total praise, it's total worship. Everything that you and I are should be offered to this one in worship. Everything that we do should be offered in worship. So this includes your job, whatever it is that you do due to the honor and glory of Jesus Christ. Listen, when the, the last ministry ended and how we were looking and we were not sure where we were gonna go, we thought it was Richmond, Kentucky that called us. And I'm trying to explain to them where we lived in Centerline and I know where that is. This is Richmond, Michigan. And we ended up moving. But in that six-month window, my neighbor gives me a job and I got Brian written on my shirt, you know, and I'm hauling trash and cleaning floors and fixing a car wash and plowing snow and putting out salt and more salt and more salt and more salt. No church budget ever financed what GM finances for salt on driveways. Let me just tell you that. But you know what there is? There's dignity. That, that wasn't my calling in life, but you know where God put me in that season? Around people, people who had needs. 
So although my task was different in that season of life, my calling still was the same. And there's dignity in work. And right now, I'm going to say it again, our government is undercutting the dignity of working in our nation. In the very way that they're trying to offer help to people, it's a, it's a confusion and a perversion of what God gave to Adam in the garden, and that is get off your couch, Adam, and go work because I'm inviting you into what I'm doing, and you're to be a steward. That's distinguished from someone who's done their work, and now they're enjoying a retirement, and they're working in different ways. Often, you know what, people end up more busy when they retire, right? Like, oh man, the honeydew list and all the things that happen now is just intensified. But understand, when the government says you don't need to do what God has said, you don't need to work, we'll take care of you, it's cutting them off, the people off at their knees. And then it goes deeper and cuts them more and more. Because there's value. There's dignity. It gets you up. It means you need to sleep. It means you need to eat right. There's so many things that are intrinsic to God's creative order. And oh, how far off the plot we have fallen. Everything that we do, our work, our play, our entertainment, whatever it is that we relax, you can do that to the honor and glory of God. We can eat. That's what Paul said. I just read it a little while ago. I love that one. Eat to the honor and glory of God. <laughs> Serve to the honor and glory of God. Whatever it is, whatever task, whatever ministry is entrusted to you, to the honor and glory of God. To give to the honor and glory of God. This is worship. When you give, whether it's online or in the box in the back, you're giving to the honor and glory of God. See, it puts it in a different light. This isn't just about me. It's not about us. It's about him, and he's worthy. And so our response of serving, our response of working, our response, it's all to the honor and glory of God, or so it should be. We're passionate I'm pretty much passionate in everything I do. I don't know. I chew gum passionately. I, I walk passionately. I mean, everything, I'm just like driven. My wife is always like, hey, you got to calm down. She'll, sometimes we'll be eating and she'll just be looking at me like, you know everybody thinks we're in an argument and there's a restaurant right now? And I'm like, I'm just talking. And I'm just uh, passionate. She's like, I'm like, calm down a little. Chill out a little. Listen to what William Temple said about worship. Worship is the submission of all our nature to God. It is the quickening of conscience by his holiness, the nourishment of mind with his truth, the purifying of, imagine, of imagination by his beauty, the opening of the heart to his love, the surrender of will to his purpose, Worship in spirit and truth is the way to the solution of perplexity and, listen to this now, to the liberation from sin. Do you have an area that you struggle with, a besetting sin? Newsflash, we all do. What is the way out of that dark tunnel? Worship. Worship. Are you bitter? What's the way out of bitterness, unforgiveness? Worship. Put any sin, lust, greed, anger, unrighteous anger. What is the way out? What is the way? Worship. Respond with worship. We sing the song, this is how I fight my battles. Worship. Because I can't be worshiping God and engaging in sin simultaneously. It's one or the other. Think on that. So too, we respond by loving this God, the living God. And number three, if we're going to lift high the name of Jesus Christ in spirit and truth, then we will choose to love others. This is a, just a natural working out. If I love God, then what am I going to do? How does this change me? Well, this is going to make me different to those around me. I'm going to become a loving person. I'm going to love others. We will then love and serve people with God's love. It's, it's not our love. It's not from our own resources. 
So anyone who says, I love God, and John says, and you hate your brother, liar. Truth isn't in you. You can't love God and not love people. Any proclamation of love for God that isn't expressed in love for others rings hollow. Doesn't matter how nice we can, nicely we can say it, I love God. If you're a jerk, it rings hollow. I'll just leave it there. Let the Holy Spirit take that on. You can apply that. The second is this, Jesus says in verse 31, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So if we know the living God, then we'll naturally, supernaturally respond. It just works out. We're going we're to love this God. We're going to then choose to love others. And here's what Jesus is saying. No exceptions. No exceptions. Now, Mark's account doesn't include the, uh, who's my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? The parable of the Good Samaritan. That parable destroyed any notion that disciples of Jesus can pick and choose who they're going to love, serve, and welcome. I'll tell you who I'll love, serve, and welcome. That's, that's Americans. You know, good old U.S. of A. I'll welcome them, love and serve them. Somebody else? No. I'll tell you, people with my skin color, I'll welcome them, I'll love them, I'll serve them. Somebody who's different? No. Who's my neighbor? And Jesus flipped that bad boy question all the way around. Who was neighbor to the guy in the ditch? Uh, <clears throat> the one who showed him mercy. I'm not saying Samaritan. Think about this. How, how do we function as believers in this politically charged, racially charged environment that we lived in, that we live in right now? Do we sound radically different? Or are we in one ditch or the other ditch instead of following Christ in spirit and in truth? There's no exceptions. I'm going to love others. And this brings us to radical expressions. This isn't just ordinary love. This is how are we going to do this? Okay, so it's one thing to say, okay, I learned today no exceptions of who I'm supposed to love. And let's, let's be clear, this is defined by God's love, not what that word love has been redefined and perverted in our day by the statement love is love. No, no. God is love. He defines love. He also defines sin. And we'll stand before him so let's keep it at that. Let's say, what does God say? What does he say is loving? What does he say is true? But how then are we going to express this love in radical ways? How are we going to love our neighbor? How are we going to love others? Can you think of anyone in your life right now that's difficult to love? Do they have your last name? Usually that's, that's challenging. Can be. Who's difficult in your life to forgive, to get along with? I'm going to say it again. It takes one person to forgive, and when we forgive, it doesn't mean that it, we're saying that's okay and it doesn't matter or it didn't happen or it wasn't painful. That is not forgiveness biblically. Forgiveness is taking it over and surrendering it to a higher court. To God who is merciful to me, I can forgive, and that is I'm just turning you over to God, and he was merciful to me, and I pray that you come to know his mercy. But I'm not the judge, jury, and executioner. Matthew 7, 1. It takes one to forgive. It takes two to reconcile. Because often people who try to reconcile relationships, they can't get the other person online. They can't make that other person come to the table. And so then they bear the load of their own wrongdoings and the load of the person who won't be reconciled to them. Forgiveness is simply freeing the person who forgives. It doesn't say it didn't happen, it didn't matter, no big deal. Is that what God says about 
something that was done, an offense done to you? No. Okay, then that's not what we're saying if we say, I forgive you. Where's an example of this? A radical expression of love. Acts chapter 7. We see love expressed by those who have gone before us in Scripture. We see love expressed. I'm encouraging you to read Christian biographies of how saints throughout the ages have forgiven and lived radically showing love. We, we need this. But Acts chapter 7, verse 54, now when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. That, that's Stephen. But he, 55, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice. What is a radical expression of love? Right here. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. He is not saying that the stones don't matter and I'm being taken from my family today, and my family is going to have no more Stephen in their family, no more husband, no father to the children, no big deal. He's not saying that. It was a big deal. First martyr of the church. And when he said this, he fell asleep. All of their anger and rage and everything they wanted to pour out on him for the message that he was preaching to them and they hated the one that he was proclaiming to them, Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, the Son of God. And he died forgiving them to his knees and the life went out of him. And standing right there is Saul of Tarsus, witnessing it all. Love it expressed by us to those around us. Let's think about this. Where is there a need? There's no exceptions, and there's there to be radical expressions. So how do we work this out? What, what does it look like for you and for me to radically express this kind of love to people around us? In your family. No, God's love is not a permissive love. So it's, it's, it's not a pampering love. I think it's Tony Evans that says. It's a perfecting love. Don't redefine love. Oh, I just love him so much, I can't tell him no. That's not God's love. That raises someone dangerous. Because God says no. Even in the garden, no to that tree. So let God define what is love. And what is true, how do we express love in radical ways? God, radical kindness, radical grace to those around us. How do we live out? This, this is right back to the Sermon on the Mount where we're saying, help, help. I can't do this on my own. But we have the Spirit of God. We come to know this living God. We respond by loving this God and we choose to love others. And number four, if we are going to lift high the name of Jesus Christ in spirit and in truth, then we will resolve to live for the glory of Jesus Christ. We will resolve to live for the glory of Jesus Christ. This living God will live for him. We will love him and we will love others and we will live for him. This is where life is. The opposite of life is death, okay? So here's the invitation to life. There is another way, there is another gate, there is another destination and it's death. So the invitation that this scribe is being faced with is which way am I going to take? And the scribe in verse 32 said to him, 
You are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding, with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. This guy is so close. Okay, what is, what is he saying? If you come in and you, you drop $100,000 in the building program, thank you. But if you do that thinking, so I can talk how I want to talk, and I don't need to even come and worship, and I don't need to serve because I did that. The scribe is saying, worthless. <laughs> you get... That was all about you. Well, I'm going to sing louder. I'll be at church every time the doors are open. The scribe is saying this whole sacrificial system is pointing to, and somehow I don't understand it yet, but if you give all the sacrifices and you aren't loving to people, there's a huge disconnect. Something's wrong. The scribe is picking up on this. He's figuring this out. He's so close. And Jesus says, and when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. You're not there yet, but you're not far. You're at the gate. You're so close. You're almost there. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. And if you go to the end of Mark chapter 12, he returns to the scribes and he thumps them. And if this scribe is still listening, how he listens to Jesus is either his invitation to life or his rejection of Jesus, and we don't have the outcome. We don't have the outcome. If we're going to resolve to live for the glory of Jesus Christ, then we're going to live to know Christ. We're going to live to know him, not just to know about him, but to truly know him. This scribe is so close. Well, why doesn't Mark tell us what happened to the guy? I heard a pastor preach this message once that was uh, in the same fashion saying, I just think that he came to know Christ later. Book, chapter, and verse, where does it say that? We don't know that. The point for us this morning, beloved, is not how did the scribe respond. I want to know how the scribe responded. Let's do a Bible study. How did the scribe respond? You missed the point. How have you responded? He's been dead a long time, 2,000 years. And how he responded to Jesus determined where he is right now. He's either in the presence of a Savior or he's separated from the only Savior that has ever been given that we don't deserve. This is the aim of the apostles, to live to know Christ. Paul writes Philippians 3.10, yep, the same guy that was holding the, the coats, stoning Stephen, that I may know him. I wanna know Christ and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him and in his death. I'm not running from suffering. He suffered for me. I watched a man die. I'm not trying to live my life without suffering. I want to know Christ. More important than I want to be healthy, wealthy, you know, health, wealth, prosperity gospel just goes right against Scripture. 1 John 5, 20, the emphatic conclusion of the Apostle John's first letter, and he says, and we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Life is found in his name. This is the aim of our church, loved ones. We exist to glorify God, reach people for Jesus Christ, connect them with other believers, equip them to grow in their faith so they'll serve Christ, they'll worship Christ. That's glorify God in all we say and all we do. That's the aim of our church. Can I ask you the question? Is that your driving passion of your life? Do you say to that, even so, Lord, make that true in me, 
Let that be my passion for life, my aim, that I would know Christ. We live to know him and we live to make him known. We live to make him known. Jesus said, you're not far from the kingdom of God, Mr. Scribe. You're right there. You're so close. This is why we preach Christ crucified. To make him known. He's the only one worthy of our worship. Psalm 29, verse 2. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. This day is coming, loved ones, and we will face-to-face see Jesus, and we will, Psalm 96, 7, ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. That word peoples, every now and then, you, you might think, like, peoples? Sounds like a strict school teacher. Peoples? Okay, no. It, it, it's not just plural of people in a room. It's talking about every people group. That there's going to be worshipers ascribed to the Lord glory and strength, ascribe to the Lord the glory to his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. See, someone who doesn't know Christ, they were like, bring an offering, come into his courts. What he needs, okay, I need to bail out this God. He needs my money. That's not the point. That's not it. It's saying he welcomes you, nobody's into his court. If you're going to come into his court, bring a gift that's fitting of the king. Bring your life, bring your heart, bring everything to this God who is worthy. Loved ones, he's great, but he's not great because we say so. He's great because he's the greatest. It's who he is. It's displayed in his works. It's displayed in his person. I'm going to have a picture come up on the screen. Maybe you've seen some of these pictures out of Afghanistan in the recent weeks. These pictures are making my point for me. They're not great because someone said, oh, that's a great picture, and you will recognize that to be great. Anyone with sense between their ears looks at that and says, look at that. Look at those men holding those children. And look at Nicole G. And look at her holding that baby and she posted on Instagram, I love my job. And today, I don't know about those two men, but she's in eternity. There's something about looking at those photos that just allows us and encourages us that the only right response is to look at that and say, wow. That's amazing. It's not because somebody says, class, come here, look at this, and let's all say it together, that's amazing. No, that's cheap and shallow. These individuals are doing what is beyond the call of duty. And they're being, and they're representing, whether they know Christ or not, they're representing, this is written on our hearts, our conscience, This is what it is to love people, and God has given to to us this gift of his greatness in us because we're made in his image, and we reflect his glory, and these acts of service are just simply worthy of admiration and praise. Can I take the argument from lesser to greater? If this is an expression of the love of God through common hands of men and women, how much greater is the God who made them worthy of your worship and my praise are everything. It's not because I'm saying, listen to me, he's great. I am saying that. But you have to take what's between the years and you have to work out who is this Jesus? What, is his, what are his claims on my life? And how will I respond just like the scribe had to? C.S. Lewis said in The Weight of Glory, he said, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen. Not only because I see it, the sun, but because by it, I see everything else. It's 
It's not just I see the sun and I believe it. The sun illuminates everything else. Christianity illuminates everything else. It's our worldview. It's our perspective. We've been called to know, love this living God. Loved ones, we can lift high and we should. The name of Jesus. In spirit and truth, come to know the living God, have you? Do you know this living God? Then we will respond by loving him. We will choose to love others and we will, by the grace of God, resolve to live for the honor and glory of Jesus Christ over and above everything else. No apologies. But to be his hands and feet. A few questions to talk over, think through, and discuss. What distracts you from lifting high the name of Jesus? What hinders you? What opportunities for ministry and outreach are before you that God is putting before you here? Serve. I made you for a reason. Serve. Here's a place for you to to serve in, in this way. And lastly, what's your next step? To make Christ known to those around you, to those around me. To know Christ and to make him known. Let's stand together. Father in heaven, we're humbled. We're humbled by the gospel. We're humbled by the love of Jesus Christ. I'm humbled, Lord, by the love that has been expressed to me by you and by your people. Father, I'm asking by your Spirit's power that we are known for being those who worship you with all our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and with all of our strength from this day forward. Father, I'm praying for the one who is not yet. They're like the scribe. They're facing this valley of decision. Are they going to worship you? Are they going to surrender everything to you? Or are they going to try to remain the king of their life for a few more moments on planet Earth? Oh, Father, show us the foolishness of that. And may those who don't know Christ yet humbly turn from their sin and trust in you today and become a worshiper, a passionate worshiper of Jesus Christ. And Jesus, we're going to see you one day. And we don't know how far away that day is, but it's coming. And we're assured of this. And so we lift our hearts. We lift our eyes to the King who is coming. And you will reign forever and ever and ever. And so we, your people, say, even so come, Lord Jesus. We ask all of these things in your name. Amen. Thank you again for listening to Teaching from the Word at Grace Community Church. We are located in Richmond, Michigan. You can find us online at mygracechurch.com please subscribe and follow us at My Grace Church. It would be greatly appreciated if you would take a moment to rate, like, and share this message. We want you to always remember that you are loved.